Our guest today is Dr. Cornell West, professor of the practice of public philosophy at the Harvard Divinity School. Our conversation jumps right in with Dr. West learning that it is my birthday at the time of recording and that I had just recently had a baby daughter. This is the Harvard EdCast. Happy birthday. <laughs> you got a lot going on in your I life. I do, huh? I do. But we're very excited about what's going on right now. Uh, you, <laughs> namely you, namely you, and we're ro- and we're rolling. This is secondary to your precious little one and being born. I don't know how many years ago, but whenever it was, your mother had a love push, and it was a beautiful thing. That is true. I was actually thinking, reflecting on birthdays, and thought it was all about me. And then seven months ago, when I saw my wife give birth to my daughter, That's I thought it's really about thing. the mother of it's the mother of That's the child that thing. does the work, and we should be celebrating mothers on birthdays. That's that's a true fact. Welcome back to Harvard, if I might say. Well, thank you. Thank you. Is it good to be back? Blessing to be back. Oh, sure. But each context is wonderful. You got good folk everywhere you go. Vocation, calling is always the same. Yeah. Yeah. And and a little bit about here at the Ed School. You're kind of housed a bunch of different places at Divinity School here uh, at Harvard. But what you're here to talk about, I'm going to read off a quote Hmm. that starts with, we are dealing with the life and death of the American democratic experiment. You said this, what context, and and why is that the case? Well, I forgot that I said it, but I would have liked to have said it, so I appreciate that you say I did say it, and I'm sure I you did say it. You said it at Anderson it. Cooper. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. On television? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah, they got the recording, too. <laughs> Uh, uh, but no, I think I think this is always the case that uh, democracies are always so fragile, they're so contingent, they um, it's so easy to lose them, and it's hard to sustain them. And uh, given what we're up against in the last, not just the last year or so with Donald Trump, but we've been in crisis for a long time. It's just that Donald Trump is now a sign and a symptom of some of the deeper tendencies that's been in place. And uh, it's a uh, very, very bleak moment in the history of uh, this democratic experiment. No doubt about that. A lot of people talk about it. You know, there's problems and there's crises in the world, but education is the way to cure it. Education is the answer. If we have good teachers and good schools, we can get through all this. It's a bit of a long game, but it works. You're generally bullish or bearish on education now or as it's been in the country the past few decades. Well, it depends on what you mean by education. There's a deep difference between um, cheap schooling and deep education. A lot of times when people talk about education, they're talking much more about schooling. I'm not talking about something that's just formal and institutional. I'm talking about soul craft. I'm talking about the shaping of the kind of human beings people are. And that has to do with families. It has to do with mosques and churches and synagogues. It has to do with civic institutions. It has to do with the kind of music available, the arts, all of that playing a fundamental role. So if we understand education in a very deep sense that the Greeks talked about it, paideia, P-A-I-D-E-I-A, I would say, yes, I'm evangelical about paideia, that there's good news for those who are willing to engage in courageous formation of their characters in such a way that they straighten their backs out and fall in love with truth and goodness and beauty and then try to live a life in such a way that they leave the world a little better than they found it. If we're just talking about formal institutions, then no. Formal institutions have never really been on the cutting edge of justice. I mean, we had to wait for Harvard to be on the cutting edge of uh, 
of struggles for women, struggles for black people, struggles for workers, you know, we'd be much further behind. We had power and pressure put on the Harvards, and Harvard responded, and responded oftentimes in creative ways, sometimes in less creative ways. But educational institutions have never been in the vanguard of breakthroughs in art, breakthroughs in justice, breakthroughs in love, and so forth. They've been much more reflective and refracturing those forces that were out there trying to bear witness. Uh, so we don't want to in any way pat ourselves on the back, you know, but we do want to acknowledge the crucial role that Paideia can play, and there's no doubt that the best of Harvard has promoted Paideia, and the worst of Harvard's gotten in the way. Mm. You know, speaking to a lot of educators, a lot of parents, a lot of teachers who are on this podcast, thinking more in the formal structuring of education. Yes. What is it that they can do to, to kind of help correct some of these things that you're talking about? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to love your students. You have to love the children if you're a kindergarten teacher, junior high, high school, if you're a, uh, a college professor, that you've got to believe in the, oh, this is my daughter. I better let her go, but I'm going to call right You now. can take it if you need. Take it. Pretty girl, pretty girl. How you doing there? I'm right in the middle of a wonderful dialogue, a podcast here at Harvard, but we wanted to get you on the air, girl. I'm just standing, love you, love you, love you. Everything's all right. She just took a course in German at the nice. Princeton University, reading Nietzsche in the original. Mm. But, but I'm going to call you in a little bit, though. Okay, girl? All right. Love you, love you, love you. Right on, right on. No, I appreciate uh. that, though. Unorthodox, this brother, he's a master. It's good, we're rolling though. Hey, we're, we're rolling. rolling. I, I feel, we're I, rolling. I, he's a master at it, wasn't he? Really wanted to say a Vita Zane to her. Didn't but. miss a beat. I no. appreciate that yeah, though. Yeah, so about education, loving children. Absolutely. You got to believe in, have confidence in their capacity and their abilities and their possibilities. And you want to linger with them, stay with them, uh, uh, correct them, push them. And, and at the same time, learn from them. Mm, and that's the question, right? The teachers think they teach children, but they sometimes, if they open their minds and their hearts, can learn as much from Absolutely. them. Absolutely. I'm learning that myself as a parent of a seven-month-old. Yeah, what I learn every day thing. about, you, though, about love. So one of the questions from our communication fellows sitting in this room now came in was, uh, you are well known for your activism and your work of curing what ails the country. and. Uh, 2017 is very different than activism in the 1970s. Biggest differences that you've noticed? Well, I think the raw stuff is always the same. You just care. You want to put your body on the line. You want to try to make a difference. Try to do it not in the spirit of self-righteousness, but a spirit of self-critical orientation. That's always the same, no matter what technological conditions are, political conditions are, and so forth. There's no doubt with social media now and uh, the internet and what have you, we, got, we have some technological mediations of, uh, of, of activism, but just trying to make the world a better place and try to be organized, do it with people, be in solidarity with people who are suffering, no matter who they are, indigenous peoples here, could be Dalit peoples in India, it could be gays and lesbians and trans folk or bisexuals, it could be black folk, whatever, any folk who are, who are suffering, Jews in Russia, Palestinians under Israeli occupation, just human beings catching hell. You have to keep your moral and spiritual lens uh, centered it's because we live in a time in which it's so easy to foreclose and trump the moral and the spiritual and be obsessed just with the uh, short-term gain 
You're, you're here at the Harvard Graduate School of Education giving a talk on something called a spiritual blackout. Mm -hmm. and, and I think about your role here and in, in what Harvard can do to, to fight this, to, to, to beat it. Uh, and you're at an ed school, housed at a divinity school, but with an eclectic background of doing so much work in so many different areas. How do you see that all sort of being moshed together to, to be the solution and how this affects and in, informs your work? Mm -hmm. Well, one, you know, I never really use the word solution. I think democracy is a approximate uh, uh, response to insoluble problems. You're never going to really get at the depths of hatred, envy, contempt, uh, insecurity, fear that we, we as a species have in the face of knowing that we will experience bodily extinction very soon. What, what the best that we can do is have dialogue, democratic practices, and some kind of love with each other in space and time. So I don't really believe in solution. I believe certain policies are better than others. But uh, the solution would be a paradise or heaven. We're never going to get that. You're always going to have folk wrestling with hatred, contempt, and envy. And I say folk, I mean us, inside of us, as well as in the larger society, you see. So the question then becomes, well, how do you bear witness to the best of the species? Well, only by example. You see, exemplary movements, exemplary communities, exemplary persons. It could begin with your mom or dad or grandparents. It could begin with Martin King or Fannie Lou Hamer. It could begin with Dorothy Day. It could begin with an artist, you know, a uh, John Coltrane or a uh, Stephen Sondheim or whatever. But there are exemplary persons, movements, and, 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 and struggles that inform who you are in regard to your character, what kind of virtues you have, what kind of values you have. And Schools provide access to stories and narratives of exemplary figures that can help us become more courageous, more compassionate, and more willing to serve. Uh, uh, and part of our problem is, you know, most of the overwhelming persons that people have access to are market-driven celebrities rather than morally latent exemplars. And those, those market-driven celebrities, they have impact. They have impact in terms of how people view themselves. Uh, uh, we've got a neoliberal soul craft in place now. It's all about smartness. People want to be the smartest in the room rather than the most courageous. It's all about money. They want to be the richest in the room rather than the, uh, the most uh, compassionate. And it's about bombs. You know, we got a, we have, well, America's an empire, so we have an empire to defend. We've been bombing a whole lot of folk for a long time, and we don't like to talk about those bombs in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Somalia, Yemen, and so forth and so on. And they land here as well as there, as Martin King used to say. They land here with the decrepit schools. They land here, we don't have resources when it comes to jobs with a living wage, or we want universal health care as opposed to market-driven health care with big pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies having to make their profits before precious human beings could have access to their health mediated with these uh, health professionals, insurance companies that are greedy to the core too often. See, those are the kinds of issues that have to do with paideia, democratic paideia, the way John Dewey talked about it, the way Maria Rukeyser talked about it, all oh, the way the great uh, Miles Horton, you know, the great Miles Horton, his book Long Haul, the founder of Highlander Center, where close to Martin King, Rosa Parks was there three months before she 
decided to sit down on the bus in order to stand up for justice. Uh, he was an educator, Paulo Fieri, his good friend. I remember we brought Paulo Fieri and Miles Horton together in New York about 25 years ago, one of the richest dialogues about education I ever witnessed. But it was much more than just skill acquisition, of course. It's really about soul formation, character formation. What does it really mean to want to be free? See, a lot of people don't want to be free. The burden's too heavy. There's a, there's a lot of burdens on people these days, and, oh, I, and I certainly think that you know, folks look to teachers, they look to figures who are inspirational for relief in that burden. Mm. Uh, think about anyone who has a Twitter feed or Facebook account, and they scroll through it, and it's pain after pain after pain after pain. And, and I guess we can talk about that, but where, where do you, uh, Dr. West, see hope? Where do you see that inspiration? Uh, where do you find it, and then how do you share it? Well, one, I think as long as it's not mass suicide, we got hope. People come up with good reasons to get up in the morning and not kill themselves. Now we ask them, what is it? Well, because I love my child. I love my parents. I don't have too much hope for me, but I don't want to hurt them. Or I might have some hope for me, and I want to be able to be an example to those who come after. So there's always hope. The problem is hope itself as a discourse has been colonized by the market. So I don't like to talk about hope too much. So. What do you, how do you want to shift it? What's a better word? Just be a hope. Don't say nothing about it. Okay. Just be a hope. If you are telling the truth, bearing witness, you become an exemplar of hope rather than part of a discourse of hope. Truth, beauty, goodness. See, we just had a president talk about the audacity of hope. Uh, neoliberal appropriation of hope. Oh, that's very, very different than the hope that comes out of struggles on the ground. Mm. You see, Interesting. and so any of these terms, democracy, hope, all the good stuff can be colonized, hmm. commercialized, marketized, make a profit, help your career, and so forth. So it becomes a matter of example. That's why young folks, that's what I love about the young folks. See, they rather see sermons than hear sermons. You can't, once your example is, 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 is seen and its impact is felt, it is beyond the market because the market cannot fully subsume the full-fledged example of a love and the justice and the truth-telling. Where do you see that right now? What's one oh, example? Everywhere. What's everywhere. one? Ex I mean, I could oh, say that the example Lord. of you telling your daughter, I love you, I love you, I love you, right now, yeah, was that example? That is your love for your precious one. That's right. The market's not going to subsume that. She's not calling me either. <laughs> Tell you now, of course, you're gonna you know need to market to make sure she got some clothes and yeah, yeah, cribs yeah. and things. Yeah. But in terms of the love itself, in terms of the touch, in terms of the hugs, in terms of the being there for her. Yeah. You see, that's not market. That's non-market. Now, the, historically, religion and education has, has been associated with those non-market values: love, justice, fidelity, trust. All those things are something that the market cannot in and of themselves fully subsume, it does a good job trying. Oh, it does a good job trying, there's no doubt about that. But we live in the most com highly commodified culture in the history of the world. That's part of our challenge. You are providing light to me in what felt like a much darker spiritual blackout. Mm. So I thank you for that. Oh, thank uh, you. Last question thank is you. speaking directly to uh, the listeners here. Yes. What should they look for? I know we talked about truths, we talked about love, but to parents, to educators, to teachers, 
they finish, they wrap up this podcast, give them one action item, one thing they can go and directly do that will help their, their soul. Well, I mean, one is you keep loving the kids, keep loving your students, be a force for good in the language of John Coltrane, be true to yourself, criticize yourself as you criticize others, and be organized, be part of some structure, organization, group, or network that's trying to raise their voices so that high-quality education can be available to each and every person, no matter what color, sexual orientation, gender, class, region, even nation. I'm glad you're back at Harvard. I, I got to say, a couple months ago, I was walking behind you on Mount Auburn Street. Mm. And I thought, oh, it's Co Dr. Cornell West. Was I walking fast? No, you're walking like a normal person. Oh, that's cool. And I was walking a, a little faster to get closer to you. And I thought, <laughs> do I tap him on the shoulder and say, I think I'm interviewing you in a couple months. And Brother, I opted, I opted for the time. no. I opted for the me anytime, but, but I know you got future, a soft tap. You got a soft tap. Now. Yeah, I, I understand it's that. A good, yeah, Absolutely. You, you, my, you know my tap. Yeah. You know my tap. Absolutely. It's been a joy to have you, and I couldn't think of a better way for me to spend my birthday than with you talking about love. Brother, I salute you and the tremendous love of love of truth and beauty and goodness and neighbor. It's a beautiful thing. Stay strong, my brother.